0: Welcome to the first ever podcast that has yet to be named. My name is Zarar Siddiqui.
1: I'm Chaba Baratsky. I'm Hina Marx,
0: And I'm Cheesy. Today's topic is quality. And uh, before the show, we were kind of talking about what does quality mean to us? Is it unit testing? Is it uh, code coverage? And at the end of the day, a lot of us had different definitions of the term quality. Uh, Cheesy, let's start with you. How do you determine if a particular piece of software has the necessary quality
2: so for me it has a necessary quality if i could push it straight to my end users so if i feel like there's something i have to do first before i can deliver it to users then it doesn't have the high quality so
3: i consider quality to to apply to multiple things not just an end product also uh, everything in between like a document that you might be using or need to expand on um uh, it might be a, a user manual or, or it might just be a product that doesn't require a user manual, which would be an indication of a good quality product. Um, but any of those things can have a quality attribute to it.
1: I would uh, it's it's hard to uh, after these two to to say something new. so I would I would say that that quality is is from whose perspective, and I think everybody's responsible for quality. And, uh, and uh, that, that shared responsibility, uh, it's almost like if you look from the product owner's perspective, that would be the product quality. If you look from the developer's perspective, would be the, 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 the code quality. The, the so so um, it's almost everybody on the team contributes to that quality. And, and in a way, probably it means for everybody a little bit different.
0: From a, from a software engineering perspective and let, let's, let's take, a, that's a great point about how different perspectives on quality product owner, developer, and so on, so forth. End user. Um, from a developer perspective, if you are, um, I'm, and I'm working with a, with the with a co-op student and, uh, it's his first gig and he's like a blank slate to me. Uh, whatever I say to him, uh, like it sticks and it's, Oh a, no. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's <laughs> right. for good or for worse. It's uh, he's, he's going to go through the, uh, th- through that experience. Um, if you're early on in your career as a software developer and you're still kind of in your first job, what, what do you, what should you focus on as a programmer to make sure that you have a healthy career where you're delivering quality software? What 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 are some of the things as an early developer you should be worrying about or looking into?
1: Um, this kind of non-compromising uh, of view of of uh, pride of the code that I'm doing so and and i think that's that, that's super key here that as as an example when when you come into an organization the learning of of uh, of these non compromises kind of sticks with the developer for for the rest of their career this is this is i was very lucky that that i had mentors who ha- were these kind of non compromising mentors who who taught me that that you cannot make any kind of shortcut at any point in time in your in your code in your testing so for example the the, the, the most important learning earlier very early in my career was that the test code has to have production quality mm-hmm. right so so that that's what pretty much i would I would share as a as a very very first thing with a with a co-op student this kind of uncompromising
3: approach to it and I think Chabara, what you said actually hits home with me significantly and that is if you feel comfortable sharing your code with somebody else and you feel proud of that code then then that's probably a sign that you develop code with decent quality, and um, and from the very first day that you don't feel proud of that code and you don't really want to share it comfortably with anyone else or with uh, maybe your boss or whoever that that might be, um, then you have an issue, right? So so having that that pride and making sure that you always can be proud of that code is a is a very important aspect of it.
2: Yes, I I agree with both of you, and I think I'm going to. Throw something else in there as well, which is, uh, if you're new, don't listen to a lot of what the industry is telling you right now. You see, we have, in this industry, made a couple of really, really large mistakes over the year. One of them is not holding the people who write the code accountable for the quality of that code. Hear, here, And so, so often what we have is developers who are pushed really hard to deliver something very fast, regardless of quality. And there's somebody else who is there to kind of check the quality. And that, that's, that's that's a spiral downward, in my view. So as, as a developer, you are responsible for ensuring that what you write works. It works properly in all conditions. And so, uh, so I think developing uh, that mindset of quality early on is just as important as developing good coding techniques and understanding craftsmanship, in my view.
3: That reminds me of something that um, uh, Jim McCarty once said to me, and um, that is that if you see it, you own it. So if you see a problem, if you see a problem with quality of a certain aspect of the code, you own that problem. It doesn't matter which role you have. It doesn't matter whether you created the code or you need to adjust it or you're just using it. Uh, it's your responsibility to do something about it, even though uh, the only thing that you might be able to do is escalate it.
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I, I, I guess I can build on that even a little bit more, what you just said, Hino, which is, again, don't listen to what everybody tells you. I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a team, probably all four of us here have had the exact same situation where they were told by somebody who comes from a QA background, maybe, that you know the solution to everything is to write lots and lots of end-to-end tests, and this is how you ensure quality. I have never seen a case where you can use end-to-end tests and validate the quality of a system. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, usually it, it works in the opposite way. So so at the same time, what we need to do is we need to realize that that there's a lot of ways to test something. And... I think a skill to develop, again, in the early stages is knowing and understanding what type of risks we're facing and knowing which tool to pull off the shelf. Often when we're talking about the functional behavior of a system, it is unit test. That's where you drive your code, you know, and that's what drives quality, both in the, the the behavior of the system itself and if you're doing TDD, in my view, in my experience, also in the design. So but there's other things like exploratory testing like uh component testing et cetera, that also should be there.
1: The Chaba wants to say something yeah, I see so, so, it on his so, face. So so what I'm hearing cheesy what you're trying to say that that to learn how to pick these tools and learn how to how to um uh, choose them wisely to given the circumstances is one of those those hard skills that that people I kind of start learning early but but it takes a lot to master to be able to to be able to to make those choices.
0: I I think uh, early on in anybody's career, or even later on, I think it's very important to work for an organization where you're allowed to do some of the things you guys are talking about. I mean, there's this age-old battle between product and developer, where one is optimizing for the number of features being shipped, and the other one is trying to do the things that, that you guys talked about, is have clean code and not compromise on certain matters. Um, and, and that's the that's always the tension in there, um, so that's that's nothing new. But but the, the question that I had is that um, where did this originate? Because I remember the most successful team that I was part of was when me and two other people were the developers. We had no BAs, no testers. We just talked to the end stakeholder, and they gave us some stuff, and then we built it, and they showed we showed it to them. This was agile before agile how did we introduce so many middlemen into the process? Like, how did this happen? And like, what what has been the effects of introducing a business analyst, a QA analyst, a SME, and all these things between the developer and the the end user? So I, I find that that distance has gone increased over time and that is proportional to the amount of quality, or inversely proportional to the amount of quality in the system.
3: Yeah, I don't. I don't know where in history we started uh, introducing other roles, and we started introducing an awful lot of handoffs between those different roles, and specializing on on a, on one element alone, completely out of context of uh, the entire application and the business value that you're you're trying to deliver. I don't know when that started, but I do know that uh, right now it's available everywhere, and these are the kind of walls that we're trying to break down. So that's that's an important aspect. Um, where I suspect it started is where um, software engineering needed to scale beyond the people who were available to do software alone, and they thought like, well, these guys can write code. Let's take the stuff out of their hands that they uh, that other people can do that don't necessarily have those same those same coding skills, and this is where they started adding those other uh, other uh, roles. However, uh, to that point, and you actually. And I think it's uh, relevant to this conversation as well. You said something earlier there are about the uh, the tension between product and and delivery. Um, I think there is a balance that we can strike where you get that quality, but you at the same time also have the most meaningful and most cost-effective way to deliver that product to your end users uh, in a in the quality that they deserve.
0: Uh, it, it's almost like uh, we end up like. You know, doing uh, local optimization, where we saw somebody's really good at writing requirements, uh, the developers not so good at it. So let's just get somebody who specializes in it. It's exactly the same it. Quality, and that just continued.
2: It, it, it is specialization, and and it it's killed us as an industry. So not only in in creating the QA role, which the first time I ran into that role was in 1992, I went from one project to another larger project, and all of a sudden, there were people whose role it was to test our code, and I was thoroughly shocked. There also were people there to tell us how to design databases. Before then, we all designed the database. Everybody had that knowledge. And and we, we've, we've continued to propagate those notions. So you can't walk into any large organization now that's not full of specialists. We've got all of the mainframe people together. We've got now enterprise services where we're trying to achieve reuse there. And we've, and we've got front-end and back-end developers and all of these things carry with it a huge cost huge dependencies and it slows you down all the while as you said earlier Hino and Zara, our product owners are asking us to deliver things faster so i i i i think it's time to start to get back
1: is there a um a, a possibility and uh, i know that some developers might be mad at me if i say that that uh, around those times it was it was a bit of a how do I put this? A little bit of an embarrassment if, if you said about yourself that you are testing or you are, do, or you are doing testing. Almost uh, developers uh, felt at a certain point that all my job is to just write code. And then and maybe it's a chicken or egg situation a little bit. Then um, the organizations realized, oh, we have these, these stars who are going to write us code and let's just hire some other people
3: who are going to test what they, what they write. Is there some element into, into that? In a conversation with developers in the past, I've, I've explicitly had the answer, well, hey, do you really expect me to write tests? I've been to school for four years to write code. I'm not going to waste my time on spending t- uh, on writing tests. So I've, I've actually heard that answer. Now, the question, of course, is where did that come from? Because these guys came out of school, out of university. That does mean that university is teaching those kinds of practices and behaviors. And where does that come from? Well, that is obviously... Tailored towards the industry that we have today, so we're kind of in this vicious loop where the education system is is uh, is helping people to behave in ways that they expect right now in 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 the industry. We got to break this here in the industry in order for education to change and in order for the people to come out of out of school to actually be able to be effective immediately.
2: I I can't say if it's the education system or not, but I believe it is the companies quite a bit. So so anyway. Shabba, you asked where did it come from. I can tell you uh, my experience was that project that I mentioned a little while ago was the first project where there was a large consultancy that came in as well into the company I was working with at the time. And all of the developers that were part of the company, that were part of our engineering group, we were used to ensuring that the quality was there. All of a sudden, we had a large consulting company. I won't mention the name, or maybe I will. We'll see. Uh, who came in We'll cut it out <laughs> and uh as structured brought the q a and brought a bunch of developers who weren't focused at all on quality and It was completely shocking to all of us that 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 you know that that we had developers all of a sudden who were pushing things out, Testers were finding lots and lots of defects and and we were just stunned and ever since then, every company the majority of the companies that i've gone to. That has been the view. Developers aren't paid to test, which which is kind of odd, and it's and that has continued to propagate this view that Hino just mentioned, which is that oh, I'm a developer, I don't need to test. But can you think of another industry where somebody does work that it, that where they're not held accountable for ensuring that that
0: that it actually is right? So um, so I, I can tell you uh, based on some working with some co-op students over the last year or so uh, that they absolutely do not teach testing in university uh, because they have you know 21 hours of class or whatever it is and they're optimizing for learning the language. Uh, testing is generally an afterthought um, if a thought at all so that that's present day and that was the case when I went to uh, my alma mater, Um, University of Toronto, great university, got a bunch of degrees there, but they did not teach testing at all. But just to play devil's advocate on that point, there's a common theory or a common uh, response to this uh, that that somebody from a large organization might give you, and, and it's something like, well, developers... Um, shouldn't be testing their code because they wrote it. So psychologically, they're not tuned to find it. They're looking for happy paths and success cases, and, and that's why you need somebody else who is unbiased, who will hammer the system and try to break it and be like the the villain of the system. And and w- w- what do you guys have to say to that uh, that response?
3: Well, um, when we talk about quality, and uh, I know that all four of us uh, here. In the room, we're all talking about test-driven development. And um, if you are doing this in a way that actually takes care of those special exception paths first, then there is—you're actually building your uh, own biases, or you, you're you're building your processes around your own biases to basically tackle those things that you just mentioned. And they're fair; they're 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 absolutely there. There's other practices as well around uh, pair programming that would help you with that as well. And we are not saying that there is no value in, in having uh, exploratory tests in the end. we We're not saying that there is no value in working together with people who have a specific testing mindset and then bring that into the developers as well. That's an entirely different story. That still needs to happen because those biases really do exist.
2: So... I Every time I've heard that, uh, I've always felt like it was bullshit, to be honest. So, I mean, again and again, I've, I've heard, well, you need somebody else to test it because somehow if you look at your own code magically, you're not going to be able to think right. you know. And, and uh, I've always thought, well, that's just an excuse people br- make to try to justify a lot of manual testers. And my experience is that I've never once in my career seen... A large army army of manual testers be able to thoroughly test those edge conditions either and and the reason for that is because they don't even know what they are they might know at a high level at a requirements level what the edge cases are what they don't know is the path through the code has dozens and dozens and dozens of edge cases along the way that they don't even know how to check for so there is in my experience Virtually no way to thoroughly test a system from the outside. The only way to truly test all of the code and ensure that we handle all of the conditions is with from the inside, which for me is
1: unit tests. And, and just to answer your question, there are. I find it utterly ironic that that if if this method would work, then we would have bug-free software everywhere in the world, and every single software would be bug. Would we'll be back free because this this became the prevalent uh, uh, methodology in the last 20, 20 25 years. Uh, what percentage of the companies truly use uh, like like where the developer owns quality? How 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 prevalent is this in the industry? It, it, it's,
2: it's not common in enterprises, but but I will say one thing: the the enterprises or the companies where I have gone, where people are held accountable for the quality of what they do. Those are the places that regularly deliver a far higher quality product.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. The end-to-end responsibility there, that's a very important aspect to it.
0: Or let's talk about something specific to kind of round this off. Code coverage is often used as an uh, indicator as of quality. And we have Jacoco in our Maven builds. We have, you know, insert your own tool to give you coverage. What is your view of code coverage as a proxy for software quality?
1: Well, code coverage, boy, uh, it's it's probably one of those. Uh, so, if it's used well, as a, what I mean by used well, uh, you can look at it as a trend, right? And 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 that could give you a little bit of indication where is your where is your code going, right? So, as a trend, I think it's it's pretty good to be to be as your definite oracle of, of predicting code quality is alone it's impossible what
0: what are good uh, metrics for quality if there if there are any
1: like th- there there are a bunch of other things that that other tools uh, uh, static code analysis uh, uh, performance testing so so th- there are a bunch of other items out there that that it's it, like like if you use this a package it's, it's, going to, it's going to give you a, a much better uh, uh, confidence that your, that your code is, is, is high quality.
0: I, I see that problem uh, quite frequently where developers get this really nice feeling and sense of accomplishment and sense of completion when they see their IntelliJs with green bars on the side. Uh, and they're they like, okay, my, my job is kind of done. And, and one of my challenges you know, over the last couple, couple of days is just because that thing is green does not mean you have covered any of the, right or, or, or all the test cases or right. all the cases, I should say.
3: So for me, code quality is is a vanity metric, and it's just as good as van- a vanity metric as any other vanity metric is. And it doesn't tell you anything about the quality of your code specifically. It just tells you about how good you are at gaming metrics. That's, that's the only thing it does. So um, I, I agree with Chaba, though, that if you are writing good tests and you see your quality going up or you see your coverage going up, that's, that's a positive sign. I agree with that. But that doesn't mean uh, if you have 95% code coverage, it doesn't mean that your code is covered for 95%. Have you ever tried to paint a white wall red? You should try that. You could, you could cover the entire wall with red just once and you should look at what the quality of the paint job is. It's not very, very, very good. You uh, probably need to add six or seven coats to uh, to make it look red and to not make it look uh, like, I don't know what, what kind of a job it would be or what name you would give it. But the same thing is true with code coverage in code. It's not because you cover the entire thing that you're actually having higher quality code. So the tools that I I don't think you, honestly, I, I don't think you have good metrics for, for code quality. Uh, the only good metrics that you have are the ones that you can see in production. Uh, if your your customers are happy, if the service doesn't go down, if they're not calling your service desk because something is not uh, working as expected or something is not clear, then you have good quality. For me, that's the only kind of metric that you can use.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with both uh, Java and Hino. Code coverage only shows how much of your code executes whenever you run the tests. It doesn't show how much you've actually tested. has nothing, there, there's not really a correlation, and we all know if you make that a, a goal, you'll get lots and lots of tests that execute lots of code uh, that really doesn't test anything. I, I went to a client one time where there was this mandate, everybody has to have 90% test coverage so we had a lot of unit tests that had no assertions all it did was just execute code didn't matter whatever it was they just had lots lots of code execute so uh, so when we're talking about how do you look at things from what metrics should you be looking at I would never look at code coverage instead I would try to look at outcomes for me the outcomes that I would want to know is how many defects make it uh, through the team And that should be zero or very, very close to zero. And then the other thing that I would look at is lead time. How rapidly, from the time that I commit code, how long does it take before that gets to production? And if it's a long time and a lot of that time is spent doing other types of testing, then then that's a problem as well. So those are the two metrics related to quality that I would look at.
3: I I would add something to it, and especially the last one that Chizan mentioned is uh, the lead time. If it takes you longer to add a certain piece of functionality, that probably is because your code is not written in a way that it's easy to add a new feature to it. That is an indication of your code quality as well. So that lead time is a, is an important one. It might not give you uh, an immediate... It might not tell you um, in, in a number what the code quality is, but it definitely gives you an indication that something is wrong.
0: And uh, with that, we're going to execute an assert statement. Assert, this podcast has come to an end true (laughs) that might be the worst way to end our first podcast so there we go but But, but it's also the
3: first one we can only improve but i'm not gonna
0: cut that one i had to do it thank you uh chaba hino and cheesy uh we'll try to do this i'm not gonna make any promises but the next one will be soon enough goodbye